Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about living as a sojourner on earth. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that you may not know about. That is that our church has an app. On the app, you can easily access creekside.me, our central hub. You can see the upcoming events. You can read blog posts, look at pictures, a lot of stuff. But most importantly to you who listen to these sermons, you can easily access all of our sermons. So if you want a quick and easy way to get this content, just download our app. You can search on the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store, Creekside Bible Church, and you'll find it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon helps you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So as I said earlier, we finished this series today on sojourning, which is to say living as people that are, are really just traveling in a world that is not our own. And by that, we mean uh, living life on earth when uh, we who are Christians, we believe that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven and that is our homeland and that is where we will spend eternity. And so the question we've been pondering in this series is how do we who are Christians live here on earth knowing that this really isn't our home? And the reason for this series being here today now is that this question is becoming harder to answer in our culture. And I've talked about throughout this series how when I was a kid there was there was Christian values that permeated our, our culture as a whole. There were Christian beliefs that permeated our Christian as a whole. And frankly, the way in which people thought was conducive to the things that Christianity teaches, even when people weren't Christians, they kind of held to things such as truth and logic and things like that. But our world has shifted, and I'm not here to criticize our shifting world. I'm here to say, what does the Bible, God through the Bible, tell us about how to live in light of that? Because, and this is nice for us who live today, the scriptures were written in times, many of the scriptures anyway, were written in times when culture was very much against the people of God living in light of how God had told them to live. And I'll tell you, in this series, I've said that a lot of times Christians today are responding in two ways that do not seem biblical. They look nothing like Jesus, and that's to be angry about culture, just mad all the time, telling everybody about how bad culture is, avoiding culture altogether, uh, making angry Facebook posts about how evil culture is and all of those things. And on the other side, people more in my age range, it seems, are just embracing culture, just saying, hey, if that's the way that it's done, I guess that's the way I'll do it too. I, I can see that the Bible seems to say something else, that God has seemingly called me to something different, but, but this is how it is now, I guess. And what happens out of that a lot of times is that people, especially people my age and younger, we reinterpret the Bible in order to allow for that to be okay. It's like, it's like, well, I'm going to embrace culture, so what do I need to say about God's word in order that I can embrace culture and not really feel guilty about it? Because nobody likes to feel guilty. It's not a good feeling. And both of these 
these kind of extremes are wrong. I mean, it's just well, not what we've seen in this series. There's nothing to support yelling at culture and all the people that aren't Christians. There's nothing to support embracing culture as if it's your own. This is not what it's like to live as a, as a sojourner. And what we have seen in this series is that that, that there's a different way. There's a different way. And, uh, and that way is to look a lot like Jesus. It is to live a life that we, in which we avoid sin, but also live so beautifully that, that people around us are drawn to Christianity despite the things they might dislike about Christianity. It's really the opposite of what you hear so much today where people will say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like his followers, or I like the idea of Christianity, but I don't like Christians. What the New Testament says about living as a sojourner is that people should say, I really hate that Christianity thing, but man, those Christians are incredible. That's what we should be shooting for. And today, we're going to finish this series by, by looking in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, there is this list, and it's a list of people who have sojourned well. They have lived for God, they've done it right, and, and really, and this is something we talked about in this series too, they've lived lives of incredible impact. We all want to know that we make a difference. I think it's one of the most basic, fundamental hopes of humanity. I want to know that my life matters. And in this changing culture that we have, suicides are way up, I think in large part because what culture has done to us is, is to make us feel like we don't matter that much. Like we don't have inherent worth and value and like there is nothing beyond this and so if this sucks, then, then people just end it. But as Christians, we, we see a different way. We see that God has created us that he is sustaining our lives and that he, is, he has offered us salvation and he's done all of that because he wants us to do something for him, something important and valuable we all have work to do. But in the midst of a shifting culture, a culture shifting away from Christianity, it's, it's just hard to think about how important we are because we're just trying to get by. Like I just, I just have to do my work. I have to, this is what I said last week, I have, to, I have to just, you know, deal with the things that are put in front of me each and every day. There's bills to pay, there's family to deal with, there's difficult interactions. I mean, there's stuff going on and I, the pace of life just gets faster and faster. And so thinking about living a meaningful life is, is kind of hard. But we have this list in Hebrews 11 of people who did. And, and the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, the author of Hebrews as they were inspired by God showed us this one very, very important characteristic that caused, that caused each of them to live these incredible lives or some of them just had incredible moments, but, but they did something super impactful. Now this is, this is what, what kind of sets it up. It's something that we all feel. Uh, what sets it up is that, that the, easiest, the easiest thing to do when culture shifts is just to embrace it, right? I mean, the yelling part is jerky and makes people feel good and is wrong, but the easiest thing to do is just embrace culture. And for these people living that at the time in which Hebrews was written, 
I mean, it was difficult to be a, it was difficult to live as a sojourner in a physical sense, in a literal way, and also in a spiritual way. And those things kind of came to a head with these people that this author is writing to. Uh, it's really interesting to be a foreigner living in Rome at this time was, was almost the same as being an enemy to Rome. You had a few more social rights, but they looked at you as somebody that didn't belong, that wasn't liked, that was a threat to their society. There's this story in history that's so weird and so foreign to us, but it's a story of, of a guy who was going to lose his citizenship in Rome and was going to be treated as a foreigner. And, and he looks at the officials and says, let me commit suicide instead. Because at least then I would die as a citizen. That's crazy. I mean, this group that, that Paul writes to feels that same kind of tension in a spiritual sense. The Jews were always frowned upon, and this is written to Christian Jews, and the, and the Christians were frowned upon more. And in Hebrews 10, 32, 35, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated, you suffered along with those in prison and joy, joyfully accepted the conf, confiscation. Man, I'm having trouble reading. The confiscation, let me just try again, let me just, of property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. David De Silva said apostasy would provide the surest route back to favor within the unbelieving society. What they were facing was this decision. It's getting harder and harder and harder to live as a Christian and the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing in Rome to do was just to say, ah, I'll just get rid of this Christian thing or if you were like a Jewish person in a physical way, you just say, well, I'll just embrace Roman culture and try to look just like they do and then nobody will bother me. And we totally feel that, right? Like, if you're a Christian, you want to live as a Christian, but you're aware that the easiest thing to do would just be to just sweep your Christianity under the rug and live just like everybody else. And that's why Hebrews 11 exists. It's that question, I mean, he says it. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Do not throw away your faith. Do not, do not push aside your Christianity. Do not just embrace culture and stop living for God. If you're not a Christian, I should take this moment to point out that you have all of these Christian people in your life that don't look any different and you're bothered by that and it's one of the reasons that you're hesitant to become a Christian. And it's because, I just honestly, it's easier for us to embrace culture. It's not right, but it is easier. And so Hebrews 11 shows up on the scene just for you and I to say, okay, I want, I want to live an important, impactful life that glorifies God, if you want to do that. But culture has shifted and it's getting harder and harder to do that without feeling like I'm weird or an outcast or just vastly different than the people around me. And it feels more and more like living as a stranger is, is the same as living as an enemy. What is it that's going to allow me, to allow me 
to live a glorifying life anyway. And we'll start in Hebrews eleven thirteen, where it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Important question, what people? And the people that he's talking about are Jewish people that lived incredible lives of faith. He's mentioned a few after our passage. We won't read this, but after verse 16, he mentions a bunch more people that, that lived lives that glorified God, lives that made a difference. They lived incredible lives as sojourners, people who knew that their homes were not where they were living and they lived for the glory of God anyway. And so all these people, all these people who did this thing well, this thing that we want to do if we're Christians, they did it well. All these people were living by faith when they died. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 at the beginning of this chapter defines faith in a very famous passage. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We kind of know that that's faith, right? I mean, it's this, it's this thing that takes faith, funny enough. I mean, we don't know if it's going to turn out the way that we hope it's going to turn out, but we believe it anyway. It is not, although I think there's great evidence to place your faith in Christianity and the God of Christianity, it, it, it is not something that can be fully proved because there is a level of simple trust. For me as a Christian, for us who are Christians, I mean, it's trust in a lot of things, right? I mean, it's trust that, that Jesus, when he died on a cross, did that so that my sins could be forgiven, that he paid the, the penalty for those things. How do you know that? <laughs> well, I think there's great evidence for who Jesus is and, and for what he said being true and for the validity of the Bible. But in large part, I just have faith that that's true. I mean, there's... there's disbelief that we think is fundamental that that same Jesus who died then got out of the grave he came back to life why do you believe that well I really think that the New Testament is a reliable source I think that the the manuscripts of the Bible that we have are great proof for why we should believe them the Bible's never proved to be untrue to me but really why do I believe it it takes a great level of faith you could go on and on. How do you know there's a God? Well, there's, there's, great, uh, there's great reasons to believe that, but, but faith is a huge part of it. And so he says, look, these people, these people who lived good lives sojourning on earth, the first thing that, that they did well is they lived by faith. They didn't live in light of what they could see or what they could know. They lived in light of faith, faith primarily in God. Well, how did they do that? Because this is, this is the question, the, my follow-up question is, well, I want to do that. But that's really hard. Because I can see the bills. I can see the people that are being jerks to me. I can see my struggles. And you're telling me they lived by faith. How? how, how? What, what compelled them to do that? What was the reason they did it? And I struggle so much to do it. And that's what's gonna be answered in this passage. But before the author gets there, verse 13 continues, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
That's faith. Saying, I have this promise. It has not been realized yet. But sure enough, I believe it's going to come true. He speaks in general terms about all of these guys in general. But most specifically, he probably has in mind a guy named Abraham. It's the last guy he talked about right before this verse. And what he says most fits most in the life of Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3 and four, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And then in Genesis 12, 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah as Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He was promised offspring, numbering like the stars in the sky. He was promised many nations would come from his lineage. He was promised land. And later this was all uh, iterated by God in Genesis 17, 8. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And this character of Abraham is incredible because he represents in a physical sense what we deal with in a spiritual sense. I've had Abraham in my sermon notes almost the entire time, and so I'm glad that we finally got to it because he represents in a physical sense what, what we deal with in a spiritual sense. God said, leave your land. Abram, also known as Abraham, did it. And then he lived the entirety of his life, his whole entire life, in a land that was promised to him, but wasn't his at all. In fact, was led and ruled by people who were strongly opposed to Yahweh, the God that we serve as Christians. He left his land, he was promised a new land, and he lived as a sojourner. Not because he had left, this is so key, not because he had left a land, but because he looked forward to his new land, the land that was promised to him. It's interesting because we think we'll live eternity in heaven, right? But what the Bible seems to say is that actually we'll go to heaven when we die, but we'll live eternity on a newly created earth, an earth that will have no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no anything that you don't like. And that idea is so appealing to me. I know I say this a lot in sermons, but I, I can grasp the greatness of earth, right? And now you give me the greatness of earth and I never am worried about anything. I'm never fearful for my life. I never have any struggles with the people around me. I don't have to think about people dying or a broken leg or anything like that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really like that idea. Learning how to surf without thinking about sharks. You know, that's, that's cool. Like that I like. And so we live, we live where we will live. It will be newly created. I think it will be infinitely better. But we live where we will live. But currently we don't possess it. It belongs to people. It belongs to a system, in fact, that is against the things of God. And a lot of times against the people of God. But at the same time, like Abraham, we have these incredible promises. I mean, he would have land. He would have 
children. He would have blessings and, and through him the whole world would be blessed. And, and what the author of Hebrews says is that he only got a glimpse of these promises. In his entire life, he only got a glimpse of the promises. He had land, but not all of it. He wouldn't possess, they would not possess the Jewish people who were his lineage, would not possess the promised land for 500 years after his grandson died. That's crazy. He had wealth, but definitely not many nations. He had grandchildren, but not descendants like the stars. I mean, he would only welcome these promises from a distance. And this is how we live our lives. Any Christian will tell you that while they benefit greatly from having become Christians, I mean, they, they've had the removal of guilt from their lives. They feel forgiveness of sins. They've experienced love in a way that they've never had love. They have peace. They, they find comfort in being able to pray to God. They have reconciliation relationships that they've never thought that they would have reconciliation in. They have a hope for eternity. They have all of these things. But every honest Christian will tell you, life can be really, really hard still. You see, as Christians, we, we live in this time that, that Christians have called already but not yet. We already have forgiveness of sin, but we have not fully removed sins. We already have a relationship with God. We can come before him in prayer, but we don't dwell in his literal midst. I mean, we already have experienced God's love, but we don't fully grasp or know how great that love is. We already have God's Holy Spirit, but we, we don't live directly in the presence of God. No more tears, not yet. No more pain, not yet. A new spiritual body, not yet. No more suffering, not yet. A home in the very presence of God with a mansion built just for us, nope. You see, we who are Christians, we've seen and tasted the promises from a distance. We live in the already but not yet, just like Abraham and just like the other people that are written about in Hebrews chapter 11 we live in a time where we have we've been given a glimpse of the great things that God is going to give us but yet the promises will only be fulfilled in the future and it's really important that we too live by faith and next it says something that maybe you could have seen coming it says, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. First Chronicles 29, 15 and Psalm 39, 12 both show how the Israelites, specifically the patriarchs, the early Israelites like Abraham, how they saw themselves living as foreigners and strangers on earth. It's been a key theme in this series. We must think of ourselves as citizens of heaven if we are going to sojourn on earth well. You are either a citizen of earth or you're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of earth if you're a normal person who's not given your life to Jesus. You're a citizen of heaven if you've become a Christian through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if we are going to sojourn well, then we must, as Christians, think of ourselves as sojourners. In Genesis 13, 4, Abraham says, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you, talking to leaders in the land in which he lived. And he had been there for decades, decades. And he's like, this is not my home. 
Abraham didn't think my home is, is where I left. He thought my home is the promised land that God will give me. And I'll tell you, the longer that we live on earth and the longer we've been Christians, I should say, the easier it is to just, just feel comfortable living on earth, to feel like it's our home. Just to live normally like everybody else and say, well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm one of these people. I'm just like everybody else. But Abraham and these other great men of faith, one of the things that they did that allowed them to live lives of faith was to constantly think of themselves as foreigners and strangers. One more time, it's, it's so important that if you're going to sojourn well, you must think of yourself as somebody who is just passing through on earth. Hebrews eleven fourteen through 16, the rest of our passage says this. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were looking for a, a country of their own. They were longing for a better country. And, and at the heart of this passage is simply this idea. These people lived lives of faith because they longed for their heavenly homes. They were not comfortable on earth. They were not satisfied with where they were at here. They didn't live for the things that they could see and touch and hold. And some of these men became very wealthy while they lived on earth. But for them, it was not good enough because it wasn't theirs. And they knew that there was a better place, a better country that awaited those who lived by faith. It's so fascinating because if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have, have had the opportunity to return home. I like that because it's so clear, right? Like this wasn't that they were sad or longing for the place that they had left. They were longing for something vastly better. I love Oregon. I was born and raised here and I've always said the greatest part of traveling is coming back. Everywhere I go, I... I I have a good time, and then, and then I, I get here. Either you, you fly you know, into the state, and it's like, oh, it's green. We must be home. And then you see Mount Hood, or you land on the Columbia River, and you go, oh, that other place was terrible. <laughs> Wherever it was, it was horrible compared to this. And it's not that. I mean, everywhere I travel, I, fi- I try to find the most Portland-like place. You know, like what's most, what is most similar to my home? Where are the best coffee shops? Which, where has the coolest culture? Where can I find live music? What is most like Portland? And this passage stands here so clearly, not to say these people missed home. They just thought if I could go back, Abraham wasn't wandering around going, man, I can't believe God brought me out here into this new space because if I could just get back and he wasn't walking around looking for the most Horem-like place, you know, like if I, if I could just find the stuff that looks like home, I would be comforted. 
it was like he had left the place, was in a new place, and was thinking, none of it's that good compared to what God is going to give me someday. I think as Christians, we have this tendency to look back. We think, if only I could just go back and have a little bit of the fun that I think God has taken from me. If only I could go back there. But a life of faith says, what you had isn't that good. In fact, it's probably bad. And what you currently have in nowhere, in no way compares to what you will have. If you want to sojourn well, you live a life of faith because you long, you long to live in your own country, a better country, your heavenly home. John MacArthur said these faithful patriarchs were passing through Canaan to a better place and they did not mind hebrews eleven forty says since god had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect and so he equates us and these people that he's been talking about in hebrews 11 we all have the same ability this wasn't because god had promised abraham or any of the other people the promised land you know like israel this was because god had promised them that someday they would live in a place with no more tears and no more sorrow and he would make everything right for them and that's the home that they long for and that's the home that we can long for and when we do it it propels us to live a life of faith and as we live lives of faith we begin to live impactful important lives for jesus That's what this is saying. I'll tell you, the people who long for heaven the most are the people who live on earth the best. This proves true in my life. I've grown up in the church. I've been around Christians my entire life. And I'll tell you, the Christians that you respect that you look at and say, I want to be like them when I grow up, both, you know, in age and in spirituality. The people who have made the biggest impact on my life are the people who just want to be in heaven. My great-grandma was this way. I mean, I, I've told you this in sermons before, but but she, you know, at at 70, she had breast cancer and uh, you know I wasn't very old then but uh, but but from everything I've told there was no fear like at all like she just didn't fear it was like whatever um, you know I'm ready to go home if that's if that's what needs to happen in fact I'm just ready to go home and then uh, she lived until I was um, until I was 25 or something. And so uh, through the years, I saw that same attitude over and over and over again. She just longed to be in heaven. Uh, at the end of her life, about the last year of her life, she, I, I lived with my grandparents, um, my kids, Gigi, and uh, I lived with them for a little while after, uh, after I was done with college and before I moved to Wilsonville. And... And during that time, my great-grandma was having a heart attack almost every single night. And she had this little bell by the side of her bed, and she <laughs> this sounds made up, I know. She'd, she'd start to have a heart attack. She would ring her bell. We would go in. My grandma would give her that medicine that you put under the tongue in order to slow your heart down or whatever it is. I'm sure some of you know the name. Uh, and 
and, and I would sit by her bed and, and act as a, a pastor. I would, uh, I would pray for her and we'd all say goodbye. And then her heart would slow down and then we'd all go back to sleep and we'd wake up and we'd do it again the next day. This was real. It may not have been every night, but some four or five nights a week, this is how it was. And what was incredible every time was my grandma, my uncle, my grandpa when he was in there, um, and me. We were all super sad and super scared. And she was kind of like, ding, 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 having a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) This is it or it's not. And that woman impacted me. I'm standing on this stage in large part because of her life. And I'm telling you, we're obsessed with life. And the great men and women of faith are not obsessed with life. They're obsessed with heaven. I mean, we just want to live and live. We fear death. We have an obsession with health. And I'm not saying that being healthy is bad. I was accused of that in a sermon a couple weeks ago. So I want to, on the record, go work out, eat well, do all of those things. See your doctor annually if you're my age or older. You know, all those things. But... But this, if you're living for this life, then you're going to diminish your impact. This is not it. This ain't it. The easy thing to do is just to, is just to say, oh, I'll just live like everybody else. But when we are people who recognize just how, just how bad this life can be, right? I mean... It's just bad. Even my good weeks, I deal with some very stressful things. And we go, that's okay, because someday I'm going to live in a perfect place where that guy won't stress me out. Literally, this happened twice in this sermon already. My hand is hurt right here. And so I've hit it, and it's like, ow, and it's like very, (laughs) it illustrates in my head what I'm saying, right? We deal with pain where my body doesn't hurt, where my hip is not so tight that I can barely bend, you know? And I mean, none of that will be there, and it will be perfect. And frankly, I don't know, I wish I did, Um, Oh, yeah, at the end of this, I mean, it says that God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And isn't that what we want? We want God to look at us when we die, and, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. And one of the key characteristics of people who please God in their lives is that they long to be with him. And I don't know how you get there, John MacArthur says, Christians whose faith does not extend to heaven will have their eyes on the things of this world and will wonder why they are not happier in the Lord. But when we can keep our eyes on heaven, then we live great lives now. And, and, and it's a hard thing to do. It's just really hard, and I understand that. But I think it starts with, the, with just a, admitting, like, yeah, I'm really focused on earth. I'm focused on staying alive. I'm focused on my job. I'm focused on all the things that everybody that doesn't know Jesus is focused on. And then I think it it goes into saying, God, like, hey, please, please give me just like a glimpse of how great heaven is. Or if you really want to pray something dangerous, God, remind me of how bad life is, how different it is than what you'll, 
you'll give me when this life is over. And then we just keep marching on with heaven in our sights. I read this illustration. I'm gonna gonna change it a little bit here. Um, But I I, I go into a baseball game when I was a freshman in college. Um, My coach was driving us before uh, at Corbin University, before we had... uh, uh, chartered bus to ride on my freshman year we didn't and, and so we were in 15 passenger vans which during the course of that year I saw a news article that had uh, had animated 15 passenger vans flipping over to show how dangerous they were and <laughs> that makes this next scary our story even scarier but we're driving somewhere in eastern Washington uh, thinking about how great Oregon is um, and we're out there in the middle of eastern Washington and all of a sudden this this blizzard hits us like we drive into just incredible amounts of snow and then oh man and I wish you knew coach Gale because it would make this story funny to you but it's impossible to describe coach Gale but all of a sudden the windshield wipers on this 15 passenger van stop working we're out in the middle of eastern Washington you can't see with the windshield wipers on and, and what happened is the windshield wipers froze to the windshield, and so they're not working anymore. And, and we're just, I mean, it's impossible to know how to navigate that, right? I'm in the back, like, putting the seatbelt on, thinking we're dying, we're dying, we're dying. Some illustration I came across this week reminded me of that, because, because what heaven is, is not the car lights, but it's a light out in front of you that you can follow. I think when we have our minds set on heaven, we can exist in this world that feels like a blizzard, a cultural blizzard that is anti our Christian faith. And when there's a a light out in, in front of us, the heavenly light, we go in the right direction, we do the right things, we live in the right way because that's the only place we wanna get to, that light. And so I want to finish this series by saying the way in which we navigate culture as Christians who are sojourning through is we, we let our lives be guided by our future heavenly home. And when we do that, we live lives of faith and lives of faith will always impact this world for the glory of God. Let me pray that we'll be able to do that. Lord Jesus, I just, I just want to, I want to personally be a, a man that, you know, like, like that you would be happy to write in a paragraph someday and say, these people did it right, Chad. <laughs> but Lord, I know I can be so short-sighted and, and I can enjoy this earth far too much. I pray for me, God, personally, that that you would help me to move forward in my longing for heaven. And I pray that for, for these people who, who sit in front of me, for these folks in the band, God, I pray that, that we would be a congregation of people that, that would just want to be with you. And God, we would, I pray, just be excited for for when this earth will be remade and, and we can do all of the things that we love to do and so much more but not have to worry 
about the negative effects the, uh, that the fall of man has had on us. God, I, I just, I mean, I, I long for the days when I can eat brownies and not worry about what it does to my health. And Lord, you've given us a taste of how great you are and how wonderful it is to, to feel the fulfillment of your promises but we've only tasted it from a distance and I pray God that we, that we would align our lives, our entire lives with when we will taste the fulfillment of the promises fully, God. Let every one of us who are here long, not just in some like, oh, I should think about heaven and be excited about that, but really long be excited about, hope for, be obsessed with the idea of our heavenly homes. God, get us to that place no matter what it takes. I pray these things in Jesus.